We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good morning, Chicago. A happy Saturday morning to you. Welcome to Inside the Clubhouse here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I am David Haw here with you until 1045 this morning. And we, of course, a score staple every Saturday morning talking baseball 52 weeks a year with the baseball insider, our baseball guru, Bruce Levine. Good morning, Bruce. How are you this morning? Good morning, David. It's a pleasure having you as my co-host. We're going to have a great time over the next two hours talking a little Cubs, a little White Sox, a little national baseball, some of the moves that the Cubs and Sox made this week going towards spring training coming up in just 11 days. And, uh, of course, you, the valued listener of Inside the Clubhouse, are an essential part of our show. The way to get in with us, the number is 312 644-6767. 644-6767. Text line is the same number to get in, and David will read all that is worthy to read on the radio, and maybe we'll push that a little bit, David. But We love our texters, uh, Bruce. We, we love our texters. Yeah, we, we love we our do. callers. We love the participation. Yeah, so 312-644-6767. Bruce, I know we have some good guests lined up as well. We're going to talk to sports writing pioneer Claire Smith later this hour, and then in the 10 o'clock hour, Anthony Iaposi, the Cubs hitting instructor, because there's plenty to discuss as spring training kind of inches closer. We don't know exactly how close. We think it'll be in a couple weeks, but it could be pushed back. But there's plenty of other stuff that has gone on this week in the wide world of baseball. It is Super Bowl weekend, but we will keep you warm with some hot stove talk because it has been burning all week. And speaking of the Super Bowl, you and Mike Mulligan have a special show tomorrow, don't you? Oh, yeah, that's right. We will. We're going to do an emergency Super Bowl pregame show from noon to 2. Molly and I and the Molly and Haw Show will have a special Sunday edition to build a bridge to the sports uh, Super Bowl coverage here on The Score, which will be all day long. So join us tomorrow at noon from noon to 2 o'clock. Molly and I will talk football. Sounds great. Speaking of baseball, the Chicago Cubs finally, after about a week, completed uh, the signings of reliever Andrew Chafin, uh, also 
um, pitcher Trevor Williams, and of course the Jack Peterson deal, which was originally uh, done a week ago yesterday and officially yesterday. Uh, Peterson certainly is an interesting player uh, for the Chicago Cubs going into 2021 because of so many areas, David, that he can fit into. He can play all three outfield positions. He can lead off. He can hit one through five or six. Uh, How do you like the addition itself? Well, I look at it this way, Bruce. I, I, I like the fact that he brings to town a pretty loaded bat, and he is a guy that's known for his power. Uh, I'm not so sure that it, he's much more of an upgrade over Kyle Schwarber. That's a, that's a debatable uh, point, I suppose. Better defensively, certainly. But I, I wonder if he's just a cheaper version based on what they could afford this offseason. But when you take a step back, and I think maybe this is a good launching point for this morning's conversation, Bruce, you look at what the Cubs have and mostly haven't done. And then you look this week, you get smacked in the face with the Nolan Arenado news if you're a Cubs fan. And the Cardinals aggressively go out and get one of the best third basemen, if not the best third baseman, in baseball. You see that happen. And then on the other side of town, you're the White Sox, and you feel like you've had a really good offseason. You feel really good about Liam Hendricks and Lance Lynn and Adam Eaton, and you feel really good about your team entering spring training as maybe the favorites uh, in the division get a lot of buzz in the offseason. And then you watch the Twins sign Nelson Cruz for $13 million. You get to see the Twins go out and, and sign Alex Colome to be in the back end of their bullpen, and you see them really def- get better defensively with, with Angelson Simmons at shortstop. And I wonder from a Cubs and Sox fan perspective, are you watching your rivals in your divisions get better while you feel like if you're a Sox fan, you had a good offseason, but you're like, oh, you wanted more. And if you're a Cubs fan, you're waiting for really your offseason to begin in earnest because you're seeing the Cardinals make these aggressive moves. So, Bruce, how would you feel on either side of town as you watch your division rivals get better and you, you know, feel – do you feel – differently I, I I know about your offseason if you're a Sox fan and I know if you're a Cubs fan you're probably disappointed you know I, I think the great thing is uh, for both sides of town that the bar has been raised so significantly since 2005 when the White Sox first won the World Series you know fast forward to 2016 and the Cubs win the World Series and then you have a fan base uh, that has different perspective on life than they've had in the past and that perspective is We expect to be very good every year. We expect to be in the playoffs every year. We expect to win a World Series once every two or three years. These are expectations, David, that uh, until 15 years ago were not a part of the, the conversation in Chicago. The conversation in Chicago then was, let's see if we can get a team good enough to be over 500. That was number one, okay? Right. Can our teams play over 500? That was a lofty goal. Second was, do we dare think they're going to the playoffs? If you look at the few times that the Cubs and the White Sox over the first 140 years of baseball went to the playoffs, those were fair questions. Now we're in an area where the Cubs have been a consistent winner since 2015, been to the playoffs five out of six years, won a World Series, uh, three and uh, three NL, NLCS appearances uh, for the championship of the league. And all of a sudden, they win a division last year, and they are being looked at 
as a poor, uh, a poor contender for the worst division in baseball this year, according to the fans and their responses. And that is something that really makes me pretty happy. The idea that Chicago fans now expect winners and will not accept less. Well, shouldn't they? I mean, because what you described is accurate, Bruce, and nobody understands the baseball culture around here better than somebody who's been around it as long as you have. But for years, for generations, I mean, the Cubs and their fans, that was the the best, the most team-friendly contract in sports, right? The team... They supplied the the baseball, the beer, and the sunshine. All the all, all the Cubs basically did. You know, they didn't worry about winning so much. But okay, then you get to 2016. That changed everything. After the Ricketts family bought the team, they they changed what the expectations and what the results were on the north side. So once you get to that point, it, I I think that it changed forever in 2016. And then we enter this winter, and. I think it's been disappointing because they have been raised and because they haven't been met. And I think when you look around baseball and you see teams making aggressive moves, like the Cardinals trading for Arenado, like uh, the Braves last night signing you know, Marcelo Zuna, four years, $64 million. And let's face it, the Dodgers signing Trevor Bauer. We'll get into that and the details of that deal because that was a blockbuster and a huge move for the Dodgers. But remember when the Dodgers... Uh, remember when the Cubs were going to be like the Dodgers? Remember when those two teams were going to have similar tracks here? Well, the Dodgers are behaving like a big market baseball team, and the Cubs are behaving like the Tampa Bay Cubs. That's the thing that I think bothers some people as you as you look at what's happening in this offseason. I agree, uh, and I, I understand that. I, I'm just, you know, as you said, I have a perspective of uh, covering the game for 40 years, living in Chicago for a million years being a fan of both teams and watching baseball for a million years. So from the perspective of fan expectations of winning, I think it's fantastic, okay? I think that's the only thing. I think that's what made Chicago for many years in baseball like a more of a smaller city because they didn't live up to the expectations of New York. They didn't live up to the expectations of Los Angeles. They did not live up to big city baseball. And now it's expected, it's uh, demanded, and I think the front offices of both teams understand this is the way to go. When you look at the Cubs offseason and you you hear uh, Jed Hoyer, the, the president of baseball operations, talking about the fact that he wants to compete in 2021 for a division and they want to get younger and a better moving forward and more controllable younger contracts almost an impossibility okay uh, right. no one uh, no one at Clark and Addison is going to come out and tell you we're in a rebuild but that is what they're doing right now they happen to have a team that is still going to be competitive in 2021 the competition level for them is below the level that they've been competing at the last five years and that is where our conversations on this show, all the talk shows, uh, everyone that talks baseball, Chicago style, that's, that's the difference, David, is that the Cubs are talking about competing and trying to win their division, not talking about winning a World Series, because you know right now they're not in the same category with the Dodgers. They're not in the same category with San Diego. They're not in the same category with Atlanta. Nonetheless, they can and may 
win their division and be in the playoffs in 2021. I'd add St. Louis to that list, Bruce. I think because while the Cubs are trying to thread the needle, the Cardinals are trying to win the division and get into the playoffs and and be a, a contender for the pennant. I don't know if the Cardinals are certainly in the same category as the Dodgers or the Padres or the Braves, but I think that they're trying to get there. And with their uh, resourcefulness in the, with their pitching in their in their system, you can't rule them out. So let me ask you this, though. Based on your experience, and nobody understands the Cubs better, why do you think the Cubs aren't more upfront just about what is going on here? Because I think that sometimes rubs some people the wrong way, and I will count myself in that in that category. When you hear Tom Ricketts stand up in November and say, we're not tearing anything down, and then you proceed to watch the inactivity of the offseason where it suggests that they are tearing something down. And people understand pro sports. This is how it works. There are ebbs and flows. There are highs and lows. You have to, you know, sink to the valley before you start to climb back up again. But I think there's a transparency that's lacking here that tends to bother some people. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't think they want to talk about negativity when they're coming off winning a division uh, title, okay? I know it was 60 games. I know people don't look at it the same way. But nonetheless, uh, they started off 13-3. and They held on to their division. They won their division, okay? So why, as uh, an owner, why as a president of baseball operations, why would you... Why would you read in, hey, we're going to not be as good this year. We're not going to be as good because we have uh, a lot of work to do as far as getting more young players into our organization, building them up with the young players that we have coming, which aren't a million of them yet, and uh, you know, resuscitating our, our team because the minor league system has not fed us enough players at this point. So you don't concentrate on negatives as an owner. Right. You don't concentrate on, on negatives as a president. And you also don't sell the idea that to the 25 men that are going to be on this team that you don't believe in them and that you don't believe that they're going to win and compete in this central division of the National League. Bruce, on the other side of town, obviously the White Sox started this offseason with, uh, with being pretty aggressive. You get Lance Lynn and certainly the Liam Hendricks signing was, I, I think, one of those upgrades in the bullpen that uh, it shows an aggressiveness and it shows an understanding of where they are and how they're going for it in 2021. So how did you view what happened with the Twins signing Nelson Cruz for $13 million and then what followed a couple days later, last night, yesterday, as I mentioned, the Osuna signing with the Braves, four-year, $64 million. How did you measure, how do you think Sox fans should look at this in terms of their excitement over what they have and maybe some disappointment over what they didn't get because you started to feel a little greedy, like, okay, hey, Cruz with the White Sox, that makes sense. Hey, Azuna, he looked good in the outfield, that makes sense. But this, the, the money and the obviously was a little bit uh, too expensive maybe in the case of Azuna and Cruz. You know, that, that's a lot for a 40-year-old DH, although he was worth every penny, I think. Well, David, uh, I look at it this way. Are you building a, uh, a fantasy team or are you building a baseball team through your organization. And and with the White Sox, I believe that the organization is something they believe in now. It's it's certainly a team built from trades. It's certainly a team built from uh, free agents. But more recently, it's a team built through their farm system. So if Andrew Vaughn happens to be the DH and Chris Getz, uh, the new assistant general manager and director of the minor leagues, 
talked about this week. If Andrew Vaughn, uh, the the number one uh, draft pick of the of the Chicago White Sox just a couple of years ago, if he indeed is your DH, then you will have on your major league team uh, the last three number one picks by the Chicago White Sox in the draft, 18, 19, and 20, in Crochet, in Vaughn, and in Madrigal, competing and helping you win uh, in at the big league level. So there, there, that is the function of what the White Sox look at as far as their organization goes. It's not going to be a one and done uh, that they are looking at. They're looking at perpetuating winning, just like the Chicago Cubs did for the last uh, six years. And the idea that building through the farm system and their players is a real good idea. In Andrew Vaughn, they believe that spot should be open for him, the DH, as well as a rest position for Abreu, for um, Eloy Jimenez, and uh, certainly for Grandal. Uh, that is how they look at the position. Yeah, they could have spent the extra money. They could have spent another 15 or $20 million on the position. But I, I think their way is what I just described. That's how they look at the DH role for the Chicago White Sox. Do you think they were serious players ever for Nelson Cruz? No. No, because no. I, I just don't think, I don't think they, were, they were looking to throw that money that way. They knew that Nelson Cruz was a $20 million player. Minnesota got a bargain uh, with him for $13 million because they, they needed him for that lineup. Um, you can argue that it might have been even overkill for the Chicago White Sox to have uh, Cruz uh, in their lineup. They have plenty of firepower. I don't think run, run production is going to be a problem for the Chicago White Sox. I might eat these words in another <laughs> uh, month or two or three. But nonetheless, uh, if, if anything, I think firepower is something the White Sox are counting on, depending on, and hoping it'll be a big part of the way they compete in 2021. He's Bruce Levine. He is here with you until 1045 on Inside the Clubhouse. I'm David Hall. Your phone call is 312-644-6767. Your texts are welcome, too. Paul in Michigan City, Ron in the, on the south side. We will get to you when we come back, and we will talk more about the Cubs and the White Sox offseason and all that went on on a busy week in baseball around the league. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse at Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. That is well hit into left center field. Back at the wall, it is three nothing Dodgers. Peterson with a blast. Welcome back to Inside the Clubhouse. Every Saturday morning, a score staple between nine and eleven with Bruce Levine. I'm David Haw, taking you up until ten forty-five today with the uh, Paul playing Butler at ten forty-five. So we will get out of here just a few minutes early. We are talking Cubs. We are talking White Sox. We are warming up your winter weekend, the Super Bowl weekend. We're talking baseball. You can, too, on the Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin text line, 312-644-6767. Or you can call as we have some people want to participate, Bruce. So let's go to Paul in Michigan City. Good morning, Paul. You're on Inside the Clubhouse. Hey, guys. Uh, great show. Uh, Bruce, really appreciated your perspective at the beginning of the show on and the uh, you know level expectations for these teams and how much different it is than years ago. But uh, on the flip side, David, you're asking, I guess, from your your talk earlier that you're looking for transparency from Ricketts. Ricketts said they had biblical losses. Theo left because he said they were threading the needle. I don't know how much more transparent they can be about it, but I think it goes back to you were one of the most vocal voices against the rebuild to begin with. 
They weren't doing it the right way. They had to leverage the team because they didn't get a sweetheart deal like Jerry Reinsdorf got for the White Sox. The government in the, in, you know, in the uh, Illinois and the city held their politics against them and wouldn't give them any money. So they had to do it all on their own. They built up the city around there, and I don't know what else more they can do to make David Hall happy. Hey, Paul, thank you very much for the phone call, Bruce. It's not about making me happy. Uh, I think when we go back to the evolution of the Cubs with the Tom Ricketts and the Ricketts family buying the team in 2009, I think that it wasn't just uh, me. It was, I think, the Chicago sports media in general. Along the way, every step as the Cubs went through this process, trying to hold people accountable, and at times it was you know, a critical look at what the Cubs were doing in terms of renovation, in terms of the approach. We'd never gone through that before. It worked out, and they have a World Series, and they have a beautiful state-of-the-art ballpark. But holding people accountable is part of what we do, and sometimes uh, that goes a little bit far in the eyes of some uh, listeners and fans, and sometimes it doesn't. But I think right now, all I want in terms of transparency is don't tell me you're not tearing it down if it appears to, from the outside looking in, that is exactly what's happening. Right. I, I mean, you know, again, uh, that's that's the essence of what uh, media does. That's what journalism does. It looks at things in uh, a well-rounded, hopefully a well-rounded way, and gives you the perspective to understand what your expertise is, hopefully, and uh, that uh, they should understand what's going on around them as well. But uh, Chicago fans are pretty sophisticated when it comes to what's going around these days. And I think that... Uh, uh, our help is always, I think, necessary to get the word out there. But uh, as far as what they see and what they get, I, I think they understand that. I think they, they look at the White Sox and knew for a, a, a five-year period that they weren't going to compete and that the way they were competing was not getting it done by throwing more free agents at more free agents. I think the way the, the Cubs did it uh, you know, was a template for them. And now it's it's turning back the other way. The, the White Sox are doing it the way the Cubs did it, and the Cubs are trying to get back to that mode. I, I think it's very difficult. If you look at some of the great franchises in baseball over the last 20 years, and you saw what Philadelphia did for six years, and you saw San Francisco for six or seven years uh, be competitive every year, go to the World Series a couple times, San Francisco winning three times, Philadelphia going twice and winning, uh, they... They had a struggle. They are still struggling, both of them, uh, trying to get back to that level after many years now of uh, rebuilding the organization after it all fell apart. Uh, the Cubs are trying not to have it all fall apart before they get to that. That is the goal. They do not want to be bad for two, three, or four years. Uh, they want to be able to rebuild that. And by the end of 2021, David, my idea is, is that they will have more younger players to count on going toward 2022. And, and maybe, you know, there won't be the Bryants. Maybe there won't be the Baezes. Maybe there won't be the Rizzos. But there'll be good players coming in in their place to start another round of trying to compete and win. And if they do that, Bruce, successfully, they will have followed the model that the White Sox used. And the White Sox, as you point out, are now in a position where they want to plug and play players that they have – drafted and developed guys like Andrew Vaughn who Ron on the south side would like to discuss good morning Ron how you doing out there David I feel like I need to be heading out to work (laughs) (laughs) well I hope you slept in Ron I did yeah 
Yeah. Um, good morning, guys. Real quick. Yeah, I was. You know, I wanted to just ask you all what what is the difference. I remember when they about Nick Magical and the White Sox thought that he would benefit from spending at least a season in the minor league. Uh, I, I'm just kind of contrasting that with Vaughn. Um, so that's it. And then my second question, guys, about Zach Collins. So speaking of players that they've drafted, is it time to, you know, let him be the backhand catcher and, and see what, what they have? So those are my questions. Have a good day, guys. Thanks, Ron. Those are great points, Bruce, Mm -hmm. because I think, number one, Andrew Vaughn did not have the benefit of a minor league season last year. Now do you see him being an opening day DH without that minor league seasoning? And secondly, the White Sox did sign Jonathan LaCroix to be their backup catcher. It was a minor league deal, but he's here for a reason. How does that cut into the development of Zach Collins? Yeah, I think that's the beauty of spring training, isn't it, David? We'll get to see Collins and LaCroix, who was signed to a minor league deal, hasn't really been announced by the White Sox, but nonetheless, a veteran uh, catcher who didn't really play hardly at all. He played in one game in 2020 uh, for Boston. That was it. Well, we'll see how they mesh uh, that and the growth of Collins. So the, the catching position is such a unique one, David, that uh, you know you just can't plug a guy in like Vaughn and say, okay, go ahead and hit. With, with the, the nuances of catching and uh, a staff that has both young and old pitchers involved, uh, that catcher every day is so essential in the modern game right now, the game of the 2021 season, uh, that uh, if, if Collins isn't up to it exactly defensively, they're not going to let him catch 50 or 60 games. So therefore, you bring in LaCroix. Uh, he's your backup situation right now. You'd love to have Collins who was one of your number one picks uh, four or five years ago, uh, that guy. But they're, they're still not 100% sure. He's made a lot of progress. But is he that guy that could be the everyday catcher if, uh, if, if Grandal goes down with an injury? You always have to look at that and say, is this our number one guy if our number one guy goes down? And that is the question that will be answered during spring training. Lucroy or Collins? At this point, we're going to continue our baseball conversation with a very special guest who will join us on the Score Hotline presented by Alpamonte Ford. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park on North Avenue or APFord.com. A wonderful journalist and good friend of mine for many years, Claire Smith. Uh, so nice to uh, be joining us on a Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Claire. Thank you, David, and I really appreciate you joining us today. And uh, how are you doing at this point? Good morning, Claire. Hey, David. Hey, Bruce. Nice to hear your voice, Bruce. I'm doing well. How about yourself? We're doing wonderful. Look, uh, let's start out with, uh, you know, your your storied career. 40 years uh, in the business, uh, baseball business. Uh, The first uh, female beat writer uh, to travel in baseball. Uh, let's just let's just start right there. What was the perspective of Claire Smith back in uh, early 1980s when you began uh, as a beat writer with the New York Yankees for the uh, Hartford Current? Uh, what was what was that perspective like competing against eight eight guys on that beat initially uh, and joining joining the fray right there? Well, uh, my perspective was I, I felt extremely lucky 
um, to have landed in that press pool. Um, I can't say enough about how welcoming those gentlemen were. Uh, so, so many of them I knew through reading their books and articles. I mean, they, they had storied careers. They were top, top drawer. And why not? They were working for the New York Times, the New York Daily News, the New York Post, when papers were newspapers were newspapers and newspaper wars were up and flaring and just fun to watch um, heavyweights. But when I stepped in, uh, I came from the outer ring, if you will, of newspapers. We were suburban newspapers or stationed far away. Um, I couldn't have been treated better. It was it was a learning experience. My first full time beat in baseball, and um, when I needed guidance or I needed uh, to to just bounce ideas off of people, I had my editor back in Hartford, but I also had immediate friends and and instant support when I stepped into that press press pool. Claire, it's a privilege to talk to you this morning anytime, but especially this week. There are a lot of women out there covering Major League Baseball, grateful for what you have done and the trail that you blaze for them to follow. And it's been a difficult week to be a woman covering Major League Baseball because of what the Mickey Calloway, the, the former Mets manager, is being investigated by MLB and by his previous teams because five women, uh, they told their stories about sexual harassment and some lewd behavior on, uh, allegedly by Callaway, and they told their story in The Athletic. What was your reaction to that story, and how many women in the business have you heard from this week talking about how difficult the job can be? Well, I know uh, one thing, David and Bruce. If this was 1982, there would be no outing of the harassers. Um, it just, it shows sadly how far we need to go. It also shows the strength of women, the, the support that they feel within their own ranks to have the courage to step out and out these people. Uh, the one thing that, that really, really angers me is that Baseball's vetting process must really be non-existent, and it's still on the media's shoulders alone to out these people. There's a flaw in this, and it's a dangerous flaw because harassers, uh, the next step up is physical harassment, and and that's such a danger. There are so many um, times when a, a woman doing her job can really be in a vulnerable situation um, and should never, ever, ever feel that in that situation, doing her job in a clubhouse, in in a press box, uh, just in transportation, you, sometimes you're on airplanes with these fellows, um, you shouldn't have to worry about being physically assaulted or verbally assaulted or sent to lewd pictures by 
men who maybe have been drinking or whatever or are just sick, just mentally and emotionally damaged people. Um, why aren't these vetting processes looking through emails? Uh, if you come out of college, you have to turn over your passwords to all the email um, outlets that you use so you can be vetted by the, the top corporations in this country. Baseball should do the same. These men are, have weaponized the Internet, and they're coming after women. That's unacceptable. The great Claire Smith joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. He's David M. Bruce. We talk baseball 52 weeks out of the year on Saturday morning between 9 and 11 on the score. Claire, uh, the J.G. Spink Award that you uh, won uh, the honor of in uh, 2017, the award given to uh, sports writers uh, through uh, their peers uh, by the BBWAA, his name has now been changed because J.G. Spink, who the award was named after, the uh, editor and owner of the Sporting News, uh, and the Sporting News was in the family from 1888 through 1977, uh, was and uh, did espouse uh, the idea of racism being okay. Your thoughts about being one of those award winners um, the first, uh, the first African American woman uh, to win that award, especially, and and uh, the Spink name now being taken off of that award. Uh, my thoughts are first, I thank Bruce Jenkins of the San Francisco Chronicle for diving into this subject and discovering all the wrongs um, that J.G. Taylor Spink purposely did. Um, he wanted to promote segregation to keep it in place. He he wrote uh, often against um, the integration of baseball, against the Jackie Robinsons and Larry Dobies, uh, men who weren't able to to speak back at these publications who were asked to just bite their lip, take what they had to take. And he, he, in a sense, J.G. Taylor Spink, in a sense, unleashed uh, a million barrels of ink, as they say, weaponized it against these men who were not allowed to defend themselves and who had every right to play baseball. So in, that, in discovering that, the BBWAA, the baseball writers, have absolutely made me proud by acting on this, putting it to a vote, taking the name off the trophy. If you don't deserve to have your name on a trophy, it should be erased. I'm sorry. You can call it whatever you want, cancel, cancel culture or what have you. He does not deserve to have his name uh, spoken anymore in, in regard to baseball writers, the great baseball writers of this country. Claire, do you believe the Baseball Hall of Fame voting process needs overhaul? Do you think it needs tweaked? How would you assess where that its process is? There's been a lot of scrutiny. And as somebody who does vote for the Hall of Fame, I, I welcome the scrutiny and, and the, the you know, examination of the process. Where do you think that stands? Well, I think that the baseball um, 
process, uh, the voting process, which is totally in the hands of the Hall of Fame. Baseball, Major League Baseball doesn't get to tweet it, tweak it. Neither do the writers in, in their portion of the process. The Baseball Hall of Fame tweaks often. It, it, it seems like every few years or so they're uh, tweaking the Veterans Committee process. Uh, the Baseball Writers uh, process was tweaked about, I guess, five years ago, um, lim- limiting the number of years players are eligible after their retirement. And and a handful of baseball writers um, were asked to give up their vote due to the fact that they've been away from the game for many, many years. So that's the way baseball writers were asked to modernize. Um, in terms of Kurt Schilling asking to be taken off the ballot or demanding or whatever the heck it was he did, uh, he doesn't <laughs> have that. <laughs> He, he doesn't have say in that, none whatsoever. Um, he should have felt privileged that he was on the ballot for as long as he was because there is a vetting process there, and not every player who retires gets has the privilege of being on that ballot. Um, he has one more year to go. We'll see what happens. Um, that's called democracy, Kurt. You get you get a voting uh, process, and it's not it's not a rigged vote. It's not it's not a fantasy. It's not made up by whatever bad guys or boogeymen you want to say. Um, good luck on the next ballot, my friend. <laughs> Clary, in closing with you, and David, and I really appreciate you joining us. It's our privilege. Uh, when you look at uh, how tone. When, when, you, when you look at how tone-deaf MLB and the Players Association seem to be when it comes to starting this 2021 spring training and uh, basically looking past the science of what's going on in our world, what are, what are your thoughts, what are your responses when you see this still going on and them looking at 2020 like it never existed? Well, I tell you, the Baseball Players Association represents, what, 850 players? Uh, It's really incumbent on 850 players to look, each one look each other in the eye and say, how can I assure my family, my loved ones, that I'm going to be safe? Uh, It seems that every time the union pushes back on something, people make the union the bad guy. But what the union represents are human beings who are being asked to step into fragile or non-existent um, uh, areas of this society and asked to play a game uh, for our entertainment, but not play the game for their own, with their own protection in place. So, hey, I, I want baseball and the union to take as much time as they can to figure out how to construct these bubbles so that everybody is safe. The media, the, the children of these players, the, the wives, the parents, and the players, the coaches, and managers. Um, looking at those empty stadiums again would be hard but it would be harder 
if we had to look at uh, what the Marlins went through and multiply that by 30. Um, take your time, guys. Figure this out. We, we can wait. We can wait. We waited last year. Just get it right. We don't want anybody to get terribly sick and, God forbid, pass away because this virus is out there and it's still stalking us. Well, Claire, thank you so much, Claire. Yeah, a distinct pleasure to have you. Uh, All the best to you, and uh, thank you for your friendship and sharing so many great days at the ballparks with you over the years. It's uh, it's been a a real joy. Miss you, Bruce. Thank you for all that you have done, and thank you for your support. It's always been appreciated. And David, it's so nice to meet you. Thanks, Claire. The great Claire Smith here on Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome back to Inside the Clubhouse here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score, every Saturday, 9 to 11. With Bruce Levine, I'm David Haw here until 1045 this morning. That was a great conversation with Claire Smith, Bruce, and we've got another big one coming up with Anthony Iaposi. Looking forward to that. And our phone lines are 312-644-6767. As David said, we're here for you until 1045. Then DePaul basketball with our good buddy Zach Sademan will follow us then. But now we will uh, take it to a short break. Be back with hitting coach of the Chicago Cubs, Anthony Iaposi, on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.